Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World Class Agency podcast. My name is Mark Oral from Love to Move. I'm joined by Sam Hunter from Home Search. Sam, I'm in a very good mood today. I hope you are too. Um, I've got a little story to tell you um, about the pub and how it relates to a state agency. <laughs> did you go to the pub on the weekend? Good morning. Good you go. I did. I did go to the pub at the weekend, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so, I'm strapped in. Let's see how this goes. I'll tell you the bits that I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. So um, we went to the pub at the weekend for the first time, myself and a friend of mine. And the first pub we went in is a local pub, not far away from me. It's not the biggest pub in the world, but we went in sort of early afternoon and obviously you've still got people who haven't been to the pub and are super excited so I was quite um, hesitant I suppose I wanted to go and stand outside and didn't really want to be near anybody um, just with everything that's happened so went in um, got a pint went and stood outside and as we were just sort of coming towards the end of the first pint there'd been a couple of things and there's no one else in the pub social distancing like they're in well not in my opinion anyway they just stood like lads would normally stand around you know a table in the pub and it was getting to about three o'clock on saturday afternoon and i looked at my mate and i said he's pissed over there isn't he and he was slurring his words shouting ordering shots of tequila and i was like i just got a really like unsettling feeling about this i don't feel comfortable at all and he was like should we go so i was like yeah let's go um so he's like where do you want to go so we went to another pub um just just down the road and the beer is almost so i mean this will be cheap for you but for me i think a pint in the first pub was about three quid pint in the second pub was four pound fifty but i was more than happy to pay the difference, to pay the extra £1.50. So that's quite a lot, isn't it? It's 50%, 50% more expensive. I was more than happy um, to pay it because when we were in the second pub, we were greeted by somebody who was like, have you, be, have you been in before? Have you booked a table? We were like, no, we just want we just want a pint. We're quite happy to go and you know stand outside. In fact, we would rather go and stand outside. So right, that's fine. We've got a one-way system in place. Everyone inside sat at a table, come on through. Um, and it was just a completely different experience. Mm. So it got me think it got me thinking about how I was willing to pay much more for a pint of beer for a better experience and something that made me feel that made me feel much more comfortable and how we can relate that back to our feature that we talked about last week and how mm. estate agent can you know just take that sort of everyday well not every it's not every day that you go into a pub for the first time since a worldwide pandemic but it just got me up that willing to pay more for a better experience and yeah. you know estate agents probably need to realize that more than a lot of them do i would say Firstly, uh, congrats firstly on going off. back to the pub. I was going to say, firstly like, congrats first, on going firstly. back to the pub. Yeah, firstly. <laughs> uh, uh, everything's expensive to me, even three quid. You know, it's been a while since I've had a beer. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just thinking to myself, I was like, fuck. I probably, in a former life, would have spent 50 quid on the weekend on £4.50 pints. 
Um, I'm glad you had fun. And I agree with you that that is, there is, you saw value in spending a little bit more money by the sounds of it. I actually think not only a great story to relate to an agency, but that's actually a really good story to tell when somebody's chipping you on fees. You know, just be like, can I, can I sort of explain to you my rationale behind delivering more and charging more? It's like going to two pubs. You know, the first pub is no process in place, nothing. Everyone's in there willy-nilly. There's a guy coughing and sneezing who's pissed out of his mind and doesn't know where to stand, stay his distance away versus we went to the other pub. Yes, we paid more for beer, but it was a one-way system. Everybody felt safe. It was nice and orderly and the beer was colder, tasted better and we had table service. I was happy to pay that, you know. Maybe refine it just a little bit more when you're out there pitching and it's going to cost thousands of pounds in commissions if you don't quite get it right. But yeah, cool story. And I agree with you hundred percent. It's, it is an everyday thing that I'm sure a lot of people would relate to. And, you know, more than likely, especially at the moment, be willing to pay more for that better experience. So you're all right. It is relatable. You probably said it much more eloquently than me, but, um, I mean, I do have a tendency to waffle on with these, these sorts of things, but I think it's really important that, um, we realize that, you know, demonstrating value is a, is a key, um, thing that agents need to do moving forward because that difference. So that was 50%, but you know, if you can get a quarter of quarter, if you can go from one to 1.25 or 1.25 to 1.5%, that's gonna make a massive difference in the market as you, uh, as you, as you try and build your business and moving forward. I, I, maybe we don't stress that point enough, but it is crucial that you don't just talk about what you do, but you talk about the value that you bring, you know, and those things, I think people get confused. So the value you bring is not that you stick properties on a portal. You know, the value that you bring is not, well, our signboard will go up quicker than anybody else's. The value you bring is not like I've got my camera in the car. I can actually measure up now, you know, the value that you bring is insight into your customer. We're going to talk a lot about with that with our guests today. You know, the value that you bring is understanding your market more intimately than anybody else so that you can give the best advice. And sometimes that advice is taken off that you might not be happy with, but that's the difference between the value you bring as an agent, regardless of the fee that you charge and somebody who's just cheap because they won't tell you, they won't give you the truth. They'll just say, yeah, just take it, see what happens. You know, the value you bring is making sure you extract the, you know, five, seven, eight, 10, 15% extra out of every single offer that you get on the table. I was talking to an agent last week um, and he was just like, we don't accept the first offer, you know? Mm. And that, that's, yep. that's just the mindset. No one in them in no one in their business whatsoever has any other thought of, well, we don't accept the first offer. Even if it's asking price, they keep pushing because that's the extra value they bring. That's how they consistently justify a higher fee. So yeah, I think that that's the lesson. Those people knew they can get away with charging four pound 50 for beers because of the service that they offer and the experience that's that they true. give people. It's the same thing in real estate. You know, if you want to be 2% or more, so I think there will be more and more agents getting two and a half to 3% in this market. Um, and, and that will just become the norm over time. If agents are willing to put in the work, it takes a lot of work to get there and it takes a lot of work to believe that you're worth it. If all you've been doing is offering a 0.75% service for your career, you know? Absolutely. And I think, the big thing is that it doesn't it doesn't just happen overnight and i also think there's a balance between sort of trainer speak and 
real life estate, but you've got to try and always strive to get to that perfection and take steps every single day to try and get there to get to that one and a half, two percent, whatever your target is, and then constantly push it up from from there. Someone, something, someone yeah. I was talking to last week was talking about. It doesn't have to stop just because you hit two percent. It doesn't have to stop. Um, not that the, we're at two percent, by the way. The the difference I, I and we're going to introduce our guest in a moment, but I really like that point that you make. There's a massive difference between trainer speak and like real life dialogue, like real real world conversations. But it's not it's not as different as I think a lot of people think. The, the, the difference is, and we're going to hopefully talk about like scripts and things like that. This and all how we can avoid scripts and talk about messages is if if you walk into a meeting and you just regurgitate what you've learned at a conference or you've learned on a webinar or something like that, then you will sound like a trainer and there won't be any connection there. But if you take the principles and the messages that you've learned, like you, the, if you apply the story that you've just told, you know, about demonstrating value equals higher fee for beer, for estate agency, for baby cribs, whatever it is that you want to buy, the more value you demonstrate, the higher price you can command. If you do that, and the way that you do that from trying to speak, talking to somebody is that you're in front of one, two, however many other human beings. And all you have to do is just ask them questions and then listen to their circumstances. Because when you're explaining your fee, if you've got, you know, a trainer speak line is often like the cheapest agent is the one that puts the most money in your pocket, you know, and that's using trainer speak. But if you sit down with someone and say, well, you guys told me that you're desperate to go and buy, you know, that farmhouse on the lake because it's really looking forward to you. Well, you're actually going to have to work with the agent that not only maybe charges more money, but gets, puts the most money in your pocket because at the end of the day, working with a cheap agent might actually stop you guys buying the dream home on the lake. Now it's applying the same message, but it's delivered in a way that's real world to your client versus trying to speak of just spitting out a really good one liner that says amazing when Tom Powell says it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the way, the way that I always look at that is that everyone has their own different sales techniques that their own different messaging. It's taking all of the learnings that, you know, hopefully people that listen to our podcast take um, and then all of the other stuff with those, those great trainers and relating it to your own experience and, you know, so that you can talk about it in, in your special way and then relating it to your clients sort of needs and, and goals as, as you um, put it there. Shall we um, introduce today's guest and strap ourselves in for I'm sure what is, is going to be a very lively interview? Let's rock and roll. It's not every day that we have a best selling author on the show, but we're both thrilled to announce that today's guest is indeed one. His first book, Where Did My Industry Go? has changed countless estate agencies across the UK and his current business is revolutionizing database farming, nurturing and marketing. From our perspective, he stands for innovation, adaptation and execution. We're excited to hear what he's got to say and I'm putting a firm language warning in right now to give him free reign to get as passionate as we know that he is. Mark Burgess, welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> very nice intro, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. It's all true, I think. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully uh, everybody agrees with you. Um, yeah. I've just, uh, just uh, finished writing the second book, so hopefully that one goes as well as the first. We, we might sneak a little plug in later on for that one. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so for, first things first, Mark, then talking about, about the book, in your opinion, where did our industry go then? 
Wow, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if it ever went anywhere, to be honest, um, <laughs> or whether it's still in 1985. Um, but uh, uh, well, I think the, the point of the book was that um, the world kind of moved on both uh, from a technological point of view and from a customer service point of view. Um, and that uh, estate agency kind of lagged behind with that. I'm sure it wasn't the only industry, but it's the only industry that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, my route took me off down a different road, but because I always stayed connected with the estate agency, I always had lots of uh, friends and people that I'd worked with in the past that I was always giving advice to and um, I don't know for some reason that industry has just stayed pretty much exactly the same as it was when I worked as an estate agent in the in the early 90s you know people are still sending leaflets sending letters and doing things that um, the company uh, thinks will help them but hasn't really focused too much on what the public wants. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that was one of the big things in, in Where Did My Industry Go was, um, it doesn't mean that you can't tout for business, but you just have to do it in a slightly different way in today's world than, than uh, back in 1991. Why do you think it's always been the agent that has determined the marketing or the service rather than the other way around? Um, I think, as I say, for some reason, uh, there just there just seems to have been a lack of innovation around estate agency. You know, I mean, the the arrival of uh, estate agency software in the late '90s, early early 2000s was sort of the 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 big step in innovation, and it never really it never really turned out to do much at all in terms of changing the way that the industry worked. They just found ways of doing what they used to do before in a computer so basically matching properties on on mass to people and uploading properties uh, to the internet as opposed to putting them in the in the local paper so the public have, have remained kind of stuck with it really um, and i think a good example of that is when purple bricks first came out the sort of panic that went around because the public do want something different so even though they didn't really understand what it was that Purple Bricks were doing or offering, they were quite happy to try it out in, in the hope that it was slightly different to what they got used to. So I think just a general, uh, the bar's quite low in a state agency and because of that, anyone can open an estate agency and anyone can start one off. And then that doesn't mean that there aren't some really good estate agents out there, but the majority of people are just they're not innovating, they're not thinking about their own business. They're just saying, how do you do a state agency? And other poor estate agents are saying like this. And they're going, okay, great, I'll do it like that. Do you think that the lack of sort of repeat business in agency makes innovation in some agents' mind not as sort of important as in other industries? Maybe, maybe. But then, you know, you could look at lettings and lettings is always... For, them, for, for most companies been the sort of, like the stepchild of their business. Um, so uh, Lettings has a lot of repeat business. Uh, landlords don't seem to get uh, treated hugely different to any other kind of customers or tenants or buyers. And I think the, one of the problems in a stay agency is that they just 
they think about the now. It's only to do with the now. If I can do this deal right now, then uh, then that'll be great. And nothing after that. So uh, buyers, you know, a lot of agents say they don't really care too much about tenants and buyers. And that's kind of crazy, really. I mean, everybody leaves reviews. They're all your customers. Buyers turn into vendors. I know that might be a long way down the line, but they're still people. They still talk to other people about their experience. So I just think that everything's very much focused on the now. Going back to you know what I was saying at the beginning about leaflets and letters is a great example. I, if I send out 20,000 letters and get two phone calls off of it, uh, most agents consider that as a success. So they're not thinking about the 19,998 people that they pissed off. You know, they're just, the two is like, yes, it's brilliant, it worked. And that's the, that's the mentality. The, what I really, like, I want to dive back in on that point about no repeat business and, and the, the lettings mentality for sure. Like there is an opportunity in most cases for repeat business every 12 months in a good lettings business, you know, whether you're renewing, which is a really great chance to show two parties amazing level of service or whether it's somebody new coming in and then you get to change someone's opinion of a letting agent and reinforce to a landlord why you're charging a fair fee to do what you do. But for me, and, and I was sort of taught this very early on in my career was in the sales side of things, let's say people move every seven years. I think the mentality is once the deal's done, it's like, well, that person's not worth anything to me. I'll start talking to them maybe in six and a half years time, you know, and I'll offer them a free, no obligation market appraisal or something like that. Or worse, I'll get pissed off when they use an agent that isn't me because I sold it to them. But the reality of what you can start thinking about repeat businesses is repeat business is a referral. You know, repeat business is a recommendation. Repeat business is somebody calling you and asking who the best plumber is in the area. Like if you start thinking about business as service rather than fees and transactions, then suddenly everything's repeat and it does force you to think about what does the customer want a little bit more. Like I think one of the reasons why I or both of us were sort of drawn to getting to know you guys a bit better, um, not only yourself, Mark, but the people who work in your business is like from the outside looking in, you guys, you, you, Yes, you have a business to run and yes, it's a fantastic service, but you do everything you can to actually help your clients and help the wider industry. You know, I think this is probably why we get along is that at the end of the day, we know people are going to go and use us, but it's more important to try and help everybody and to actually try and affect real change. You know, and I think it's pretty clear that that's the ethos that you guys operate in. I don't think you get enough commendation for what you guys do, but I'm, I'm interested with all those people that you speak to, who are iceberg clients using Lifecycle, those who aren't anybody on your Facebook groups, anyone else's Facebook group, like what, what is a piece of advice that you would give to every agent that you speak to? Um, I think the main advice that I probably give most commonly to people is for them, I know it sounds a little bit of a cliche, but to just step outside of the box of what they think that they do, because uh, the main thing that gripes me about estate agency is that most of the seminars and most of the training courses and most of the things that agents go to are like prescription based. Like if you do these three things, you'll be successful. And 
I don't buy into that whole idea. Like the, my mentors in the past have always just taught me to think about a problem in a different way and then come up with my own solution to it. And doing that is what creates a unique business. Mm. So, yeah, we do try to help the industry. We do try to uh, innovate the industry, regardless of whether they're clients or not. Obviously, at the end of the day, we're like you say, we're running a business. So we hope that that uh, encourages people to perhaps investigate it and use our business. But either way, the main problem I see is that people are, they, they, most estate agents worked as an estate agent. And uh, the person that taught them, maybe taught them brilliantly how to do estate agency, but they'd probably just always worked as an estate agent. And the person before them had always worked as an estate agent. So none of them are really thinking about how you do marketing, how you uh, give a great service, how you, like you say, get repeat business from people giving referrals. None of that stuff is really something that they think about much when they open their estate agency. They open an estate agent, they put the four desks in with a plant on the desk and their best negotiator at the front right. They tell people when people walk in, stand up and greet them. And they do the same thing that they've always done, mm. but they don't stop. Like today, I'm meeting up with um, uh, an agent of ours who I meet with regularly. And I'm going to pull it. I'm going to completely pull apart his entire organizational chart and just throw the whole lot in the bin and just say to him, like, right, now let's rethink the way that estate agency actually works. You, you don't have to open an estate agency and say, I'm going to have uh, an admin person, a sales progression, and a negotiator. Like, fuck that. Let's stop for a minute and just think, what does moving someone from one house to another house? actually involve and what's all the cogs involved in it and the roles and the things that need doing i think too often estate agents even if they even if they find out something new even if they read a book or listen to a podcast or speak to somebody and they think oh wow yeah there's a new way of doing things they immediately think how they can kind of shoehorn that into their existing team so you know you give them a great piece of technology and they say oh the valuer will do that and you think to yourself, like, what? Why? Why are you going to get your valuer to do like an admin task? Why do you not immediately think, oh, I could get, I could either employ someone to do this role, or I could change up the roles, or I could even just get someone in the Philippines to do it for me? Like, what? What? what I, sometimes I struggle with what stops people thinking that way if they are entrepreneurial and run their own business. So for me, uh, the advice that I give most people is just to, just to break it all down for a minute, forget everything you were taught by your boss, who was a great estate agent, and start thinking about how do you actually deliver the service that makes people go, wow, like these guys are totally on a different planet to everybody else. Mm. So is that one of the reasons... Um that we wanted to talk to you was about your group. I saw you put something in your Facebook group about when we came back and lockdown was ended, I think it was about a week after you said, don't forget to continue to work on your business. So how important do you think that is? Because I'm guessing what you're talking about there, thinking about the problem in your own way, coming up with your, your own unique solutions. In my opinion, the best time to do that is probably out of the office to take some time on the business rather than in the business. How important do you, do you think that 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 and taking that time is and how much time do you think someone should spend doing that well if you're the uh, whatever you call yourself the ceo the md the 
whatever whatever name it is you've you've made up for yourself, you're the you're the top of the tree. That's your only job. Everything else you're doing until you can afford to have other staff to do it. So your only job is to innovate and think about how to build the company. If you break it down like that, it becomes quite interesting because I spent a lot of my business life, you know, I've had different businesses for the past 20 years now. And uh, for the first half of those 20 years, I, the reason I can relate with a lot of estate agencies, I, I worked the same way. I set up businesses to try to make money and then I spent all my time trying to make some money. And uh, it just doesn't work. You might as well have a job. Your, your role, and there has to be one in the company, is the person who steers the ship. So if you're not steering the ship, then no one's steering the ship. Literally, you're all downstairs rowing in a random direction. Someone has to go up and steer the actual ship. That's your only job. And everybody in the boat is relying on you to do it well so that you don't crash and they all die. So if you're not doing that, then really you're kind of neglecting everybody that works for you. Whilst you feel like you're getting involved, getting on the phones and going out and doing valuations and getting involved in negotiations so that the deals actually happen. Yeah, that's great. But you have to work on the business in order for you to be able to build an infrastructure that allows that to happen without you having to get involved in every deal. If you're not working on the business, who is? Who's securing the future of all of these people? Who's securing the future of the company? Who's making the plans for what you, where you're going to be in a year? Who's building the assets that are going to live around the business that make sure staff can come and go and you'll still work the same way? Who's going to do all that stuff? If you're going to go out and do valuations, who's going to do all that? So I get the fact that in the very beginning, your name's at the top of the tree on the organizational chart, and it's also in about 500 other boxes. But gradually, over time, that's how you start replacing yourself in all of those different boxes and you only do the bit at the top of the tree. So until then, um, yeah, I would say you, you, uh, one day a week, at least, you have to have blocked out your diary where you work on the business. Like, it's not a luxury. It's not, oh, I'll do that if I've got the time. Like, it's, it's essential. Hmm. Do you think one, one how, do I, how do I phrase this? respectfully one character trait that i notice across a lot of agents i speak to and this is in myself as well is that a lot of agents struggle with letting go because they they think that the only way to do things is you know the old adage like if you want it done right do it yourself now i think unfortunately that that thing took off to hold people back rather than to get things done well um, because, and it's the same thing, like good help is hard to find. No, good help leaves because you control them too much. I think it's probably more of the, the like reality of the situation. Do you think that so many of, of the agents struggle with what you've just described so eloquently because they think they have to do it all and it's really difficult for them to let go. And to, can you give any advice on, uh, like how you end up giving yourself permission to have that day a week, you know, or giving yourself permission to do things a little bit differently. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think you're probably right. I think uh, most of us, including myself, are uh, control freaks. You know, that's why you end up as being probably self-employed in the first place because it's difficult to work for other people. And then uh, you kind of 
without meaning to, you, you impose that on your staff by asking them to do things and then when they've done it, saying, oh, no, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it like that. Um, I think my wife um, really helped me with that a lot. Um, so uh, my wife had a great job. She was, um, you know, she worked alongside the head of global legal for uh, international investment banks. And then she had a child and then, you know, as the story goes with lots of people, like, you know, her, her work kind of forgot that she existed while she was on maternity leave. And anyway, long story short, she uh, came and worked with us. <clears throat> Far too overqualified to be working for our company. But uh, like, and on the other hand, great, we're able to attract somebody that, uh, you know, we never would have been able to. And um, so I said, oh, okay, can you look after this project for me? And she said, yeah, no problem. So she took the project and sorted it out. And uh, a little while later, I said to her, what happened with that project? She was like, yeah, it's done, it's all finished. I said, oh, can I see all the stuff? She was like, yeah, okay. So she showed me and I was like, oh, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it that way. She was like, no, well, fucking do it yourself then. <laughs> that is really like, it was a golden moment for me because it was like, wow, that's what my staff would really like to say to me. Yeah. But, can't, but she can. And from that moment, like I done, I started looking more and more into how does this whole role work? Um, and unless you're going to encourage people, just stay out of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, if people are doing things wrong, then you're going to constructively help them. But your your role is to think of how do I create a structure whereby People won't do it wrong. You know, mm. I, I give them the stuff that they need. Like far too often, someone will say, oh, I need to hire a valuer. If I don't want to do the valuations, I need to go out and hire a valuer. And so what they do is they go looking for this white knight, this guy that they don't have to really, they're not going to really have to do any training. He's just going to come in and he's going to win like 70% of all of his listings. And he's just going to be amazing. When he doesn't do that, and they're paying him 50, 60, 70,000 pounds a year, they feel kind of like, he ripped them off. He lied in some way. It's like he didn't lie. You just haven't got an infrastructure that was going to allow him to, to thrive. Like you brought him in and gave him nothing. So uh, this is where it comes back to working on the business. Yet you're the only one who can do the valuations because it's all in your head. Mm. So if you spend some time working on the business, perhaps you can start to get some of that stuff out of your head and into documentation as to how evaluation gets done. Perhaps you can create brochures that allow people to guide them through the process. Perhaps you can create guides for your sales progressors or for your negotiators on how you put offers forward. And once you've created those guides, then you start to have assets in the business that like raise the valuation. So again, it comes back to having the time to work on the business. And then, uh, yes, you're right. You do need to obviously release it to the point whereby someone's, someone's gone to the effort of doing the role, doing the job, you can't really just turn around and go, I wouldn't do it like that. You've got to in encourage them. You've got to show them that, you know, you appreciate the work they're doing and just say to them, is there any way you think you can get that better? I remember my, uh, my team coming to me a little while ago, they'd built this downloadable guide. Um, so I'd said to them, look, this is what I want. I want a guide created around this subject. I want it put on the website. People can go there, they can download it. So they created the guide. They built the little landing page. They made it so you could download. And then they sent it to me and said, do you want to check all that? And I said, they said, it's ready. Do you want to check it? I said, no, 
I don't want to check it. If you're saying it's ready, it's great. We'll go, we'll go with it. And they were like, oh, uh, maybe we'll just check it all again. <laughs> it was like, yeah, okay, check it all again. But when you tell me it's ready, that's when we're going to put it live. And, and it just it empowers people to think it's on them. It's not on me. Not everything's on me. It's on them. So, yeah, the control, the control freak in everybody, I think, is, is something that holds them back. I would agree. Oh, they went. Yeah. Sorry, I'm gone. No, that's all right. I, that's all I was saying. Was, I just know I'm going through the same process right now. Literally, that, that exact conversation of I know you and I trust you, and you actually have the answers inside your head. But the only way you're going to know that you have them is if it goes out there. Like we, we talk about initiative not just being a buzzword. You know, everyone's like, take the initiative, go and do it. And I was guilty. Uh, particularly of our really early first hires of trying to create like Sam clones and things. And we process stuff out like we had, this is what we think is good customer service. But I was recognizing uh, that it was, they were scripts rather than guidelines. Um, and I think when that happens, you, you end up like hamstringing people and you put them into this shitty lane. Uh, that doesn't actually give them a chance to show any personality or be themselves. And so now like you talk about assets and I, uh, I've gone and taken like everything Daniel Priestley does on board and built that into our business and things like that as well, because it makes such a difference. Like it's not just one of those fluff things that you learn. You go, oh, that's cool. I'll think about that one time when I'm on a podcast is literally like, okay, this is how we can actually go and scale our business. And talking to people about initiative is like initiative is not just a thought process. It's an action point. You know, you've got to actually take that. And if it, if it doesn't go perfectly, that's totally okay. Yeah. Because if it goes perfectly, you'll learn from it. And you'll be like, fuck, I need to put that in process. And if it doesn't yeah. go perfectly, you'll learn from it. And you'll think, fuck, I should probably put that in process. If you give people those prescriptive scripts, like you mentioned, then it, allow, it stops them from thinking outside the box. I yeah. did, a, uh, I did a, uh, an interview uh, a, on my on the show that I used to do, Raising Your Game, with a guy called um, David Marquette. An amazing person. Uh, really well thought of, again, like author. He's in part of the whole Simon Sinek clan. And uh, he was the ex-commander of a submarine, US submarine. And he told me this really funny story whereby uh, he got put in charge of the worst submarine in the fleet. And... On the first day, he thought, we'll just run through some quick test maneuvers, see what this submarine can do. And he said to his assistant, like, go to speed number three, or whatever it is. Like, they've got three speeds on a submarine. Go to speed, uh, first of all, go from speed one to speed two. And they've done that. He told his, his lieutenant, his lieutenant told the other guy, that the other guy told the person controlling the speed stick, they went to speed two. He said, okay, go to speed three. And the lieutenant told that the, the, his, his assistant, his assistant told the speed guy, and the speed guy didn't do anything at all. And he's left there thinking like, what? what's going on? So he said it again, and they all said it again, and nothing happened. And eventually he said, what, why are you not going to speed number three? And the guy said, this, this submarine hasn't got speed number three. <laughs> what? Why are you telling him to teleport it to speed number three? They were like, well, you told me to. So I think if you, if you create those scripts, yeah. people, they go, oh, I'm not allowed to do it outside of this. You know, I'm not allowed to even go, I don't think this is working. I keep phoning people up and they keep putting the phone down on me. But I'm just going to carry on doing it because mm. you know, Sam said so. So you have to be uh, quite, quite 
you know, have to be a bit of flexibility in what it is that people are doing, even if you, even if they're not doing it quite the way that you would have done it. On, on that note, then, like, uh, and, and I promised you a subtle plug at the start, but I, I'm, I'm interested to talk about the estate agency revolution, you know, which is probably something that's happening now and conveniently the title of your next book as well. Like, what, what is the estate agency revolution? And, and maybe that ties in with like what's next for Iceberg and things like that as well. Uh, so actually, yeah, you're right. The estate agency revolution is happening. The funny thing is, is that uh, probably half the industry, maybe even over half the industry, if you count all the corporates and everything, are kind of waiting for a new version of a state agency to show its face. Mm. But it's already shown its face. It's already happening. There are loads of agents out there that are working in a totally different way to the other half of the industry. And that will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the agency revolution, from, from my point of view, the book that I wrote is around um, how the world works now in terms of data. Um, so data is something that is banded around a lot by lots of different people. They talk about how much data they've got in their CRM, they talk about data from this, data from that, and it's just, just become a bit of a word that doesn't really mean anything anymore. And so in the, in the book that I wrote, I really tried to break down how do you uh, make your business vital through data? How do you become a company that the world can't live without because of what you did with your data? Um, and that is the revolution that will come through a state agency. Because at the moment, it's not a massive problem in a state agency. Because as we said at the beginning, the bar is quite low. People don't really have, well, the majority of agents don't really have sophisticated data systems. So it's not really an issue for them. The problem that's going to come is that there are companies out there building sophisticated data systems. And when it does become a problem, there's no way back. <laughs> there's absolutely no way of catching those companies. You know, uh, Google isn't the most valuable company on the planet because it's a search engine. Not by anyone can make a search engine. Google knows every single thing about you. It knows your deepest, darkest secrets. It knows what you're worried about with work, with your kids, with your family, with your life. It can even finish your sentences for you. And because of that, Google has 20 years of this information. No one can catch Google. No one can beat them at what they do. So that actually, you know, it's a, some people look at that example and think, yeah, but they're a massive global tech company. And yeah, they are. They're an extreme example of it. But it's happening all down through small businesses. Now you have the ability through technology to be able to run the same systems that companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Tesla, Uber, all these companies run. And look at how fast it propels them to be in the most valuable companies in the world. Think of that on a micro scale, just in your town with the 15 agents that are there, how fast it would propel you away from those other 14 agents. And that's what's happening on a small level in a state agency. And so that's what I believe is the estate agency revolution, because as we get two, three, four, five years down the line with that, there will be some companies that they can't be called. It doesn't matter what company, other companies do. They just can't be caught. And mm. the other companies' markets will just shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. Until they go out of business. 
Well, yeah, until they go out of business or do something else. I mean, you know, there'll always be an involvement in, in a state agency. It's got a little way to go yet before it becomes what it will be for the next, you know, 10 years. But um, nevertheless, I had, a, I had a falling out with somebody in our Facebook group around leaflets and letters because I was saying, like, they don't, they don't work. And they were saying, well, they do work. Um, because we send them out and we get listings off of them. And I was saying, okay, um, but maybe, I, maybe it's my fault when I said they don't work. Maybe that just is too antagonistic. What I'm trying to say is that, first of all, the group we were talking in is, a, is, a, is called the Innovative Estate and So we're here to talk about innovation. There's no point in us talking about leaflets and letters. And secondly, the price you have to pay is the bit that doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, back in 2009, Iceberg used to produce digital and printed magazines. And I had an agent the other day contact me from way back saying, oh, do you still do those magazines? We were gonna do a print run. And I'm thinking to myself, like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> like, that's gonna cost you about 10 grand. Mm. Like back in the day, that's how much they used to pay to do this print run. And like, what you can do with 10, thousand pounds now is off the charts if you're just going to do leaflets and letters and magazines yes i guess it probably will work some people will see them if you count that as working but what happens with print letters leaflets all of that stuff is that it has a one month shelf life maybe a couple of months and then it all washes away and you're left with nothing zero like not one thing you're left with other than like what that generated Whereas now you can spend like 10,000 pounds is, some, some, is more than some people's annual Facebook spend on their ads or their Google ads or whatever it is that they're doing. And that's an ongoing. It just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. So I think, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a long way to go for a state agency in terms of like, you know, their innovation and, and, and where they go with things. Uh, certainly in terms of how they do their marketing is probably a little bit like what we spoke about at the very beginning they're in the now if i deliver all these leaflets maybe i can find the three people thinking about selling their house now and i don't really give a shit what happens next month or the month after or the month after that and that's the mindset that's got to change because there are other companies that are already working on the the people that are going to come to the market six months so your leaflets are going to work even less in six months than they do now um so i think that's where, where you know where a state agency needs to start looking at things so you've probably already touched on this, but a question we ask everyone um, that comes on the show, Mark, is what does world-class estate agency look like to you? Um, actually, again, I think that there's probably, I don't think there's any one particular model that is world-class estate agency to me. Uh, to me, it's whatever model you've picked is, is fine. It doesn't matter if you're selling houses even for a pound. If it works for you, that's fine. If you're selling houses and each one you put, you're charging people £20,000, that's fine too. If you're online, if you're hybrid, if you're traditional, all, all fine. Even if you are still doing print, all good. As long as at the end of all of that, genuinely, the people feel like they just work, got a world-class service. Like world-class. And some of that stuff uh, is it's just not happening in the state agency at the moment because... Estate agency have fallen into the trap of feeling like their industry is selling houses. And actually, 
that's a really dangerous place to be because it's a little bit like uh, the railways. They feel like their industry is the railways. And so they end up falling behind other forms of transport because on a train, you still don't usually get, you know, great Wi-Fi. It's not particularly comfortable, all of that sort of stuff. So people choose other forms of transport. So a state agency is in danger because other estate agents are keeping the bar low, but there are other, many more entrepreneurial people in the world thinking this is a moving process. It's not a selling house process. It's a moving process. And I have to use an estate agent for a bit of it. I also have to use a solicitor. I also have to use a removal company and various other people along that chain. So for me, world-class estate agency would be somebody whereby they say, I'll move you from A to B and you haven't got to do shit. And, and the experience has all been thought out, the technology is all in place and the process just works like an absolute dream. And for that, I would pay serious money and I would tell all my friends about it. For me, that would be world-class estate agency. Um, but as I say, it doesn't have to be that. Whatever it is, the person has to say, I had a phenomenal experience. Like when you go to an amazing hotel and you come away and say like, that was just fantastic. And there'll be bumps in the road, but it's how you deal with them. And I think for me, you can only do that by having, uh, it goes back to all the things we just spoke about. You have to work on your business to figure out what needs to be in place for this to have an amazing customer journey. What technology do we need? What customer service do we need? What roles do we need? Just rethink the whole thing and come out with something whereby people say, wow, how did you ever dream that up? Awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Uh, very you. thorough answer um, and loads of interesting takeaways of, you know, a, I think for me, you know, really different to what anyone else has come on the show and, uh, and talked about. So thank you very much. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mark. A massive thank you to Mark Burgess from Iceberg Digital for joining us today. Um, beforehand, I said strap ourselves in. Um, it felt like he was just getting really passionate before we had to cut him a little bit short at the at the end there. Um, but a man who is very very passionate um, and truly believes in what he's preaching, I think, is the um, you know the big thing that I took out of that. Yeah, agreed. And and thank you to Mark again. I, I think you know. I've known him for a little while, you know him for a little while. It's really clear when you speak to him, and I hope that came through that he does, he walks his, his talk, if that makes Absolutely. sense. You know, and I think that him and Rob Brady um, and everybody that works in their business, if you talk to the agents that use Iceberg Digital, they rave about it. You know, they, they would bin off almost everything else in their business, probably everything else in their business except their people because of the opportunities that it delivers and the way it can actually cultivate the relationships and network for them. It's interesting. I think Mark and I, and Rob and I have talked about this a couple of times. Mark and I, I think share the same frustrations in that you, you work with certain pockets of agents who get it and understand it and do it really well. And then you work with other agents who just want all the work done for them. Um, and, and this is the really like, I think crucial point um, that that Mark made really well is that 
any sort of technology or any innovation or where their revolution is going still requires work. Mm-hmm. And anybody who think that it's going to get easier is in for a pretty rough ride. And anyone who thinks that their work is going to get less is in for a pretty rough ride. What technology should be able to do is allow you just to do more of the work that matters. You know, um, I, I really like what he said about how like the world always moves on. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's technology or customer service, you know, that point of view is always changing. But for estate agents, they've either not bothered to see it moving on. They've not wanted it to move on because they were so happy or maybe so comfortable in their bubble of the way things were done. And unfortunately, that bubble just got smaller and smaller and smaller and they didn't really adapt to it. Um, and they've never really bothered to think about how the, like the public, it's such an obvious thought to have, right? Like how do people want to be prospected, dealt with, spoken to? How do they want to be kept in touch with? Um, And yet, I mean, how many agents out there do you think ask themselves that question? Yeah, I think he he talked, I'm sure he used the term, I've got it written down, it might have been just my sort of taking from from our, our chat, but we say it yet again, there's no such thing as a silver bullet. And mm. you talked about it with your business and related it back to Mark business. Those businesses that are the most effective are the ones that work with the software, not get the software to do the work for them. Um, and I think the, the one thing that he talked about as being really powerful was working on the business. Mm. So um, I wrote down, if you're the CEO, that is your only job. Yeah, the same and, thing. Yeah, I thought that was, there was an, that's an extreme way of thinking, right? Um, but sometimes to improve and to move forward, you've got to be extreme in, in, in your thoughts, I think. And I think Mark would you know, probably admit to, um, to having some pretty radical ideas. You know, tearing up the organization chart and, and sitting down and thinking, right, as you said, how do people, you said, how do people want to be prospects to all that? How do people want to move house? Mm. And I know a lot of people think agents are lazy and, and all of that. And I think, you know, potentially that's unfair because the repeat business side of things, as Mark was talking there and I asked him about it, I think that has probably bred the laziness or the, the need not to innovate because those leaflets still work or still work for some agents. But as Mark quite rightly put, it's not just about working for instructions. It's about working for an ROI. Um, point of view so if you can get your roi you know up massively if you could double it treble it that makes a massive difference to and that's ultimately what companies like iceberg digital are looking at doing with the digital marketing and being very very clever with it yeah it, it, to me it's an obvious thing like i and i love that you said you've just got to improve your roi because it's not you've got to make people move houses more often you know it's about making sure that you're customer has a like if you if you break this down into really lame like business terms like customers have lifetime values yeah and so people think all the time it's like okay my customer a needs to buy more of my widgets b to increase their customer lifetime value so then we apply that really basic business math to real estate Mm -hmm. it's sam needs to sell mark's house five times in mark's lifetime not three then Mark is worth more to Sam than he was before. And the reality is Sam needs to do an amazing job of getting to know Mark. 
then Sam needs to make sure that Mark moves Mark exactly how Mark wants to be moved whenever, as you just so eloquently put, you know, think about how people want to move. And then the moment that happens, Sam needs to make Mark abundantly aware that it's Mark's job to refer every other person in his life that needs a world-class moving experience back to Sam. And yeah. that is increasing your clients or your customers' lifetime value. It doesn't have to be their transaction. And I think that that's where so many agents just fall short. They, they look at it as a one-to-one -one situation when everybody, particularly when you're like a community, and this is the other thing, I'm fortunate enough to know a number of Iceberg's clients and they are all good people, community agents, really like active in a hyper-local area. You know, they are genuinely the conduit of information in the area through Mark's system for the most part. And these people, they, they just pick up business off all the people that they already know. If there's someone they don't know, I promise you they're going to be introduced to them, not through a leaflet, but through somebody who they've done work for in the past or somebody who's getting their information through something like Iceberg Digital or something like that. So when you start to think about it as a one-to-many situation, then you start to increase that ROI. You know, and suddenly as an agent, you start thinking, well, what more can I do for all these people outside of the transaction that might only come up three times in a lifetime? I, I loved what you said in that interview that you've just talked about again. Repeat business is a referral. Yeah, 100%. And I think that if you, if you, if you can get your mindset, and I'm going to talk about mindset because I think that was a really important um, point that, that Mark talked around, but if you can get your mindset into thinking that repeat business is a referral, not forgetting about your client when they've moved in and, you know, then you know, worry about them in seven years time when they might be thinking about moving, but you get them, you know, in increase that lifetime value. I think that's a really powerful um, thing to take away from, from this episode. If you can, if you can go into the office in the morning or this afternoon and talk about repeat business being a referral. Hmm. You know, I think that's, that's really, really valuable. You, you get your whole team involved in that and that changes the mindset of the business and you know, changes how you have an impact on your community moving forward. Yeah. One of, one of our sort of friends of the show uh, is, is starting to think about doing some things um, like, whether he's going to expand his business, change his business, do whatever. And he, he was sort of saying to me the other day, we, we brainstorm ideas every now and again. And I, I gave him a suggestion. It was the same thing. Remember when we went and saw Stephen Brown in Birmingham? Uh, yeah. um, and he sort of put me on the spot and he was like, right, what's one tip that you can leave on my mastermind group with? And I was like, everyone pull out your phone and pick somebody in your phone who would always answer your call. And, now, and I, I said, put an A in front of their phone in front of their name so they appear at the top of your call list and if you want to think about referrals and recommendations as repeat <laughs> nice mark saw a couple <laughs> a's at the top of his phone good lad so this this is a really easy like game you can almost play with yourself it's to go and find and your number doesn't have to be your number but i would try and find 50 people in my business that their job their sole job for me was to get me one recommendation or one referral for an opportunity. It's not a guarantee of a listing or anything like that, but it's one opportunity a year. And they would go on my phone and I would put an A in front of their name every single time they gave me one of those opportunities. And so I would have people in my phone like A, 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 Jared Walsh, you know, 
or AAAA Ashley Debenham or something like that, because these people would consistently just refer me to their colleagues or their friends or their neighbors or anything like that. And suddenly you realize who are the most important people professionally to your business? Who are your like literally quintuple a clients? And then every year, if you've got 50 of them, that's 50 guaranteed because they will do it. If you ask them for that favor, that's 50 people that you can bring in and have a referral opportunity for, and then you can build your business from there. Start thinking about that as a repeat business model and it will, it will genuinely change your business. I actually thought you were going to talk about when we spoke to, I'm sure it was when Stephen came on the podcast, actually, we talked about finding properties for buyers and this is not an intentional plug, but it's a plug for, for what you guys are doing. Yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> this, the, when, we, when we talked about it on the podcast and now we can do it with home search, right? So someone walks into your office. So that, um, that referral might be a buyer. It might not be a seller, but that buyer contacts you. Let's say they walk into your office. Have you got anything matching my description? No. Um, but what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to, I think at the time we talked about, I'm going to ring my three best clients to see if they know yeah. that anyone that's, that's, um, that's selling. So yeah, great. Do that. And then say, well, actually we're going to send a letter to out to the 82 potential properties that match your requirements in our area. Um, and so that repeat business doesn't have to be just sellers. It's just buyers, but what it is throughout that whole process, if you go down and you know do those couple of things, that's fantastic customer service. That's world-class customer service. Yeah, it comes, comes back to if those people, if you do nothing for those people but help them out, they'll refer you, you know, and then it comes back to, well, there's an expectation of service around that referral, so there's probably going to be an expectation of fees to, to come back to the beer chat where we started this podcast, right? Like the, the more value you can demonstrate, the higher fee you can command, and I do mean command because people will be happy to pay it once you can demonstrate it. Just to come back to Mark, uh, for a sec, we did this last week. We went a bit off piece, but I think it's it's good. It's good for the pod. It's good for the listeners. So we're going to keep going. What what I really liked what uh, what, what Mark was talking about was when he he <laughs> one he talked about his missus telling him off, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and and he's exactly right. It's what everyone wants to say to their bosses or to the people in there. It's just like I've genuinely tried my heart out. And you've just come in and torn it to shreds so you just fuck off but the key part i think about what mark learned from that was he wanted to create a structure in his business where it's okay to fail but the ideas and the initiative are what is rewarded and everybody learns and everybody improves and moves forward you know what i mean i uh one of the sort of mentors that we have in our business here he he sort of said to us he's like sam you've got to think of me like a management consultant he's like you right now, he's like, I'm, I'm not going to be here all day, every day, but I'm here when you need me. He's like, you right now are that grunt straight out of uni who has to do all the work and I'll come in and I'll use my 45 years of business experience to dot a few I's and cross a few T's and take some credit for it. You know, and he's like, the difference is that's what I used to do in my former life. Now you get to take the credit of it, but I make sure that it's an improvement on what you would have done initially. You know, and we're really grateful for that. And I think that that's sort of the culture that Mark's talking about creating, you know, in there. What, like his world-class point, I think, was was really well made. You know, everything you do from A to B is about moving people on. You know, if you can move someone and they don't have to lift a finger, that's world-class. But I think, for me, the best point that he made throughout the whole thing was like, your job as a world-class agent is to create a company that the world can't live without. You know, to create an agency that your local market cannot cannot live or cannot move 
without if that's not your goal then that's not world class i love that yeah absolutely i mean he he talked about he early on in, and he related it back to data and it's however you do it you know if the data works for your your business then then great and I'm, i've no doubt that um it's, it's a fantastic system that's working for for all of the life cycle um clients but he talked about how do you make your business vital in mm. his in his opinion you do it through data but i really liked his world-class agency um answer probably not what i expected actually um but he talked about no one model being world-class if it works for you then then fine and what i wrote actually next to it was and I did, we didn't get a chance to talk about this but i'm pretty sure this is what he meant is it is it more of a mindset for you as a you as a um estate agent it's about your mindset and giving a fantastic experience for the um the client so i just also want to come back to um the point that you talked about team and staffing because again something i didn't actually have a chance to to mention during the interview but both you and mark talked about giving your team enabling your team to go off and do a project and have the confidence not to look at it before it goes out to the to the wider public and what i wanted to say to mark on that was okay you know i'm sure that that made you feel good because you've not got to look at it but i bet it made i bet it made that member of your team feel 10 feet tall i bet that was the first thing they told their partner about when they got home that night you know the boss you know he always checks he always checks everything and then he suddenly just said no if you trust it's right then go out and put it out and then he got the response didn't he from his team that they went back and checked it again um because they knew that they they would just want to make sure it's absolutely perfect so you're empowering them they're, they're growing in confidence and they're also being you know, perhaps a little bit more diligent of of the work so i just thought that was, was really really powerful I, he also talked about thinking differently as an agent um, just coming back to his world-class agency answer didn't he he talked about um the train lines thinking like a train line whereas really what they should be thinking about is a tran a transportation vehicle yeah um, just don't don't be so yeah now remind in single single lane in your thinking you know um I think he put it, he said, most estate agents were taught by other estate agents, yeah. you know? Um, and it's a bit like, maybe, maybe it is a bit like, um, like builders and doctors and stuff, you know, it, um, my wife, for anyone who doesn't know, is a dietitian and she reads a lot of scientific papers and there's some pretty like modern stuff that comes out of those peer reviewed articles about nutrition and food and health and what actually affects your gut and everything like that you go and see a doctor and they won't tell you anything about gut health or anything like that because it's not in a textbook that was published that they learnt from and they don't go and upskill themselves on new research. They'll only go to the conference that's people that they've learnt from in the past and things like that and talk about it. And I think there's probably similarities in our industry and it's why it's probably really difficult for new ideas to break through because everyone is so wedded to the current ways of thinking and everything like that. But I love the fact of it's like genuinely rip everything that you do up and start from scratch and figure out how you can build an estate agency that moves people, you know, so they don't have to lift a fucking finger as Mark said. Yeah. 
yeah. And you did put the um, language warning at the front, which I didn't think, I thought it was going to be worse, actually. But yeah, he said, our industry is not just about starting houses, it's about moving process. And I think that's a fantastic way to, to end the podcast because that's just so, so valuable. If you can get you can get into that thinking and if you can be disciplined and consistent enough to do it once a week, that's going to benefit your business, your team um, for a long, long time, I would suggest. Agreed. So, a massive thank you to Mark Burgess from Iceberg Digital for joining us today. Um, thank you very much for listening. As you know, we do this because we love our industry. We want to see it improve. Please um, give us a like, share us out on social media, share us out with your colleagues. I'm Mark Worrell. He's Sam Hunter. Thank you very much. We'll see you again next week.